Good morning, guys, and welcome to this Saturday's show. So, how are you, Jim? Really good, thanks. Yep. Um, you know, let's let's crack on and let's find out what this is all about. So today we're going to talk about. Nobody, um, want, nobody wants to know how I am. <laughs> Everybody just wants to know what content have you got to actually benefit me, and and that's 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 exactly what we're doing every single morning on a Saturday morning. We do this every single time so people can benefit from the content and our wealth of experience in terms of the letting industry. So this is every other Saturday. Sales is every other Saturday as well. Sales so it coincides sales, sales and lettings, sales and lettings, sales and lettings. So that's what we're after. So today we're talking about lettings. Uh, this is quite a good subject, replacing oh, yeah, a tricky one. A tricky one today because it can be a bit of a minefield, especially with the private residential tenancy um, agreement in Scotland. So replacing a sharer. So if you've got people that are sharing, whether that's friends or... Um, and it's it's how to navigate through a smooth and swift switch between tenants uh, who are sharing because one, one will leave and things change. And how shares could be a really good way to maximise your rental income, depending yeah. on where you are and what the situation is. Uh, and they cover every kind of tenant, and that's students and uh, hiring professionals who want to share. Do you know there's there's a real mix in there? So there's um, an opportunity there to have a maximised income on your rental. But if one leaves and you've got one, how do you switch them out, and how do you how do you navigate through that? So that's what we're going to talk about. Never, I have never worked this out how to do this, and it often perplexes me. Hence the reason why I'm no very keen on uh, sharers. Um, mm -hmm. for that very reason because you know what happens if one leaves is the other one liable for the the tenancy is the other one not liable for the tenancy um is the garden tour still liable if they were part of that this is a for me this is just so much confusion so hence the reason why i tend to stick to mainstream buy to let residential yeah. uh, and and one tenant one property or uh, possibly a couple and but they've got to have some sort of connection they can't just be we're sharing but we don't really know each other um you need that, to you know, that sort of thing because if they don't know each other, they've got no they've got no loyalty to each other actually. So it's like when it comes to when it comes to any sort of aggravation, it's like, right, I'm off. 28 days notice. Yeah. And then as a landlord, you're like, oh my God, what do I do now? It's like, have I got to fill this or or, or are they still liable for it? Um that's the sort of questions that we're probably going to answer today. Yeah, I know. And inevitably, if uh, people are sharing at some point as their life evolves, one's going to leave and one's going to be there. And then whether it's they're moving in with their partner or whether they're re relocating, if it's work or whatever, or they might even buy their own home and then there's one left. So you'll need to find a replacement. Because one person, obviously, when you do the two of them together, they're going to reference up in terms of their affordability. So one's yeah. left and you're going to be left with somebody that's not going to, be able to pay the rent. So the changeover, it doesn't have to be a hassle if you do it correctly. Um, but you need to protect yourself as a landlord and keep, things correct in terms of the tenancy agreement and like I say obviously their affordability so there's a lot of do's and don'ts uh, to keep in mind and that's maybe obviously the the notice situation the the laws around replacing a sharer and the the, the, um, the legal side of their agreement actually finding the replacement and finding a suitable one and then obviously changing the agreement when that time comes as well so yeah. the changeover between tenants and the things one outgoing and one incoming you need to do it correctly definitely mm -hmm. especially since we've had the prt in scotland as well if you're if you're operating like that i have no i do not have any idea where to start here so where are we starting you know how how do we go about this so whether you're a landlord or you've got a rental home um in any part of the uk you'll 
find the need for what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to start around the laws around replacing the sharers. And that's the most important thing, I think, to start on. And landlords have run into a lot of legal complications when it comes to sharers and replacing one person for another person. And a lot of people just do it in such a casual manner. But really, you leave yourself wide open, especially with today's uh, legislation and things with lettings. So um, with the issues with first year tribunal and things, you need to do things correctly or you do leave yourself really wide open for issues ahead if things go. It's quite interesting. I was reading the new legislation that's uh, as proposed on the consultation document. If anybody landlords out there and you're a Scottish landlord or a Scottish letting agent, you probably need to get this consultation in before the 27th of October because yeah. this is our responses to what, what basically the hand that we've been dealt as landlords. So this is why it's quite important for people to understand, get your answers into this question, this uh, consultation questionnaire about, you know, what what we should find is the way forward. Uh, now, I'll put a link in this post. I'll probably try and uh, I'll, I'll just quickly go into the, the Scottish Association of Landlords website uh, and I'll pick up that link from there and I'll stick it in the post for people that don't know about this consultation yeah. document. You're going to be tied to certain answers. You're maybe not going to want to answer these certain answers, but you need to answer these certain answers because it's the hand we've been dealt based on a consultation that was happened last year, which you've probably not seen. So it's too late. It's been done. You're just going to have to yeah. go with what we've got. Yeah, so yeah, put that link in there, Jim, and people could do that. So we're going to cover a, initially a lot of simple things to stop you having such a bad experience with uh, swapping people out, if that's what you've, if you've got sharers, if it's friends, if it's students, whatever. Um, and initially, a new sharer must then contribute to the deposit. They obviously, initially, they'll probably split the deposit, um, and they will need to then send their security deposit to the agent or the landlord and not to whoever they're actually sharing the property with. A lot of people do that and they'll think, oh, well, I'll, I'll swap this out and do the deposit. And a lot of confusion happens with the deposit, whereas the deposit, a uh, part of the deposit can be returned to the person that's leaving and then the new person can pay their deposit in part, but it needs to come through the agent or the landlord and it needs to be lodged with the deposit scheme. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really important thing. Deposits are something that you need to be wary of, especially um, up here in Scotland, we have the Safe Deposit Scotland, we've got uh, My Deposit Scotland, it needs to be in a deposit scheme. The incoming sharer is entitled to request uh, an update on the inventory as well. So obviously yeah. inventories, I mean, inventories are not mandatory, but I completely recommend having one to safeguard yourself and the tenants. It's, I mean, it works both sides. Um, and that is an adaptation of the original because uh, the, the original one will no, long, no longer reflect the current property's condition. So that's something to bear in mind as well. Never even thought about that, actually. Um, yeah. That's quite a good point, because um, the new person coming in will have a completely different uh, condition. Yeah. So what does this mean then? Does this mean um, if we've got people move, one person moves out, uh, possibly a new tenancy has to be created and a new condition report has to be done, does that mean the existing tenants that are in there will then have to rectify or compensate for the for any any damage up to up to that point. Well, at that point, you're going to have an update on the inventory. Ideally, I mean, yeah. a lot of people probably won't do that, and that's what I'm pointing out. But then, at that point, there are going to be things that are picked up. With a, I mean, if there's damages and things, then you're going to have to address that with the tenant that's leaving, and whether they're responsible or whether that's the tenant that's still there, and whether that carries on. And it's and it's uh, against the original. I don't know how you set it up though. It should be a point of uh, joint and several mm -hmm. liability at that point, shouldn't it? Yeah. 
Um, but if you've actually individually said something somewhere where the individuals are liable for their own their own things, you know, maybe and maybe it's their maybe it's their room, maybe they're yes. sharers and it's just their bedroom. It's like the other person's unlikely to have gone into their bedroom and damaged something. So it's 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 about it's about where that fine see how it gets complicated. It does get complicated, <laughs> yeah. It does. I don't do complications. <laughs> I like no, I mean ideally we know the result. Yeah, and that's where like I mean, we don't do HMOs and things for that very reason, because it can be it's really time consuming to do that when you've got multiple occupancies and things. Obviously, this is talking about sharers and we could do that and we do do it. We have we have sharers, but the the implications of the deposit and things can be tricky. And also when it comes to the tenancy agreement and really the tenancy agreement needs to be accurate and who's actually living in the property. So if you've yeah. got two people sharing, you know, whether they're students or people that are working together, but are just friends, if one leaves, you need to make sure the tenancy agreement then reflects accurately who is living in the property. So ultimately, yeah. You need to do a new. You need to new uh, new paperwork. Tell you what is quite interesting as well. Uh, some tenants actually just leave and think they don't need to take themselves off the lease <laughs> at all or say anything. It's you know I've turned up in the past. Once in a blue moon this happens. I've turned up in the past to people we had shared and said to them, "It's like, oh, where's uh, where's John going?" It's like, oh, he left about three months ago. Yeah. Like yeah. really? <laughs> it's like, did he not think about telling me? Because he's still on this lease. He's still joint and several liable for it. And he should have ended it properly. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a huge minefield there. And that's when, if some of that person's got a guarantor, they then get caught into that and dragged into that um, liability because it's still there. And even though they're going, they, they left three months ago. Why am I still liable for it as the guarantor? Well, they didn't end it properly. So contractually, you're still obliged to actually yeah. pay the rent for the other person as well because you're all joint and several liable. So this is why it's important as a, as a joint tenant to make sure you do this correctly. So I think ideally, while this show is about landlords for landlords and possibly for some letting agents that don't know about this, um, ideally this shows are all about for tenants. As, and, and as let a, lot them people, understand. a lot of people aren't aware. And I think most the most common thing for me that I've dealt with is couples in a relationship and they're, they're jointly on the tenancy agreement and they split up. And one just yeah. leaves and we're months down the line and we're like where's and oh we split up he's away or she's away it's like well you need to tell us that <laughs> we uh, need to and, and it's like uh, it's like well you're behind in your rent now especially if you're leaving someone who is the problem and they're the one left behind and they're the problem is that they've maybe not got the affordability to actually pay the rent then you're still stuck in joint and several liable for it but I'll, I'll say as well, it's just like, you know, you could you could more you could you could be objective. You know, you could object about that. But yeah. the reality is it's the same with a mortgage. Mm -hmm. If you go and leave and you're on it, you're on the, you're one of the mortgage holders, you're still joint and several liable for the mortgage, even though you're, you're not living in the property anymore because you still have home ownership as well. So this is this is a minefield, especially when it comes to tenant legislation and uh, and letting agent legislation, landlord legislation about about what to do next and how to do it. So it's it's not really advisable to cut corners. Um, no, there's penalties for non-compliance, especially, and it can be quite severe. Um, you could also compromise with your own own security as a as a as a landlord. Um, I think that's a quite an important thing as well because how does that affect insurance? How does it affect your your mortgage? Your potentially what you've agreed to and your conditions for your mortgage. Have you have, is there a clause in your mortgage contract where it says you can't rent to certain certain tenancy types? 
You know, like you know, some some mortgages have you can't let to students, you can't let to um, you can't let to people on universal credit. Um, and it's not anything about the personal universal credit, it's the system that operates it, that's why it's in there. Yeah, and that's in a lot of insurance policies and things as well. So if you're if one person's leaving and another person's coming in and their circumstances is different, you might invalidate your insurance and like you say, your mortgage uh, your mortgage terms every single time insurance is quite good that you actually mentioned about insurance richard and how it could invalidate every single time i get my insurer writing to me to say that what type of tenancy and every single time i respond back saying it's students it's universal credit it's professionals you know and and it's sharers or you know i i do that every single time because they want me to pin it down to one person it's like well it's not going to cost me any more to actually put all four tenancy types on there so I, every single time I just say it's the, that's the tenancy type I want for that property. Um, and, and so I never get caught out with any reason where we get to the end of this. Classic is the one we did recently. I am I'm, I'm thinking I'm getting about 18, 20,000 pound paid out for that. Yeah. They're about loss of rent and actually a full refurb for the property because it was broken into. Um, and ransacked so 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 it's important actually i had the right cover because if i didn't have the right cover at that point in time the insurer could have equally turned around and says well you're not insured yeah and yeah and that would have more money insure it it was just the fact that you need to notify them about the right cover yeah and uh, your insurance cover is really good actually and that's it that's that situation it's, it's been you just no long changed to your, your insurer and i think that um it was a good move obviously because of how we've been and it I think it was a good move because I sliced about a third off of my insurance costs. Yeah. So while while I was looking for I you know reasons to actually increase you know the rent under the Patrick Harvey legislation, <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, I've slashed all my costs and fixed all my interest rates. So literally, you know, the, the the tenants are getting the benefit of me being really prudent and actually forecasting to fix my interest rates so there was no rises I have to pass on and there's no and, and reduce my, my insurance cost as well. So there's there's a reduction in that. So a lot of my tenants have actually got um that favorable uh, um rent uh, level yeah. but purely because I've been savvy enough to actually um control my costs. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a wee bit about um the replacement of a sharer if somebody moves out and who's who we're bringing in. And I mean, depending on the setup of the rental property and things, the person that leaves, and then sometimes we'll have it, and it's we've had it in the past where they'll find or, or they'll bring to us somebody that they want to then swap out and yeah. uh, replace the, the the housemate that's left, basically. Um, so you might prefer to do that yourself or have your agent do that, to be honest. But sometimes you'll have to obviously, they'll bring you somebody and you take it into consideration. So there is a few things to remember when you're doing that. Um, so whether it's someone who uh, replied to maybe you've advertised for another person um, and you've got that um, friend recommendation from someone as well, then from your existing tenant, then don't let anyone move in without taking the proper precautions and doing the proper references and checking them out. I think that's really important. Every single time, isn't it? It's like I've, I've got somebody to share with me. And then you do their credit check and it's like they're up to their eyeballs and DJs or, 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 um, uh, or, 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 you know, outstanding debt that you don't know about. And they've been a serial, you know, uh, jumping from property to property. Maybe every three months, every six months, they're, they're going from property to property. Um, and then you found out maybe on social media 
that they're not exactly the right person or the right tenancy type because they, they, they maybe on social media they just they display um, uh, um, times of anti-social behavior um, social and so, so well, they think that's brilliant because it's their pal and they don't know about all that you do all your background investigations and then find out that maybe don't want to take these people no not under uh, not under any circumstances social media is a really good indicator as to what the person is going to be like or who they are as a person in, in general i mean the referencing process that you do is really important but sometimes things can slip through and until you actually meet a person or like you say review maybe their social media um, and their status on yeah. there and what they actually do day to day you get to find out what a person's really like mm -hmm. and that is so important because um at the end of the day they're going to be living in your property so you need to that's that's you need to do all your due diligence probably avoids wasting the wasting your time for viewings as well doesn't it you know because yeah. you're screening everybody out beforehand because clearly there's no point in doing a view, viewings with a hundred people and then realizing that 95 of them are not they're are not appropriate for the for the the property or their 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 circumstances aren't aren't you know the right circumstances and and what i mean by is they've got they've got outstanding debts that they've no paid um they've got they've got antisocial behavior history or they just don't they, you know the there's something there's something about it. nothing to do with pets or anything like that that's not a thing because obviously everybody's going on about this and now about how we're not we're stopped our right to have pets in our house and it's like well no really um, as long as you're looking after the property and yeah. and you, you you can show a track record that you that you do that, then I don't see any reason why that isn't a possibility. But there's no point in having five dogs in a in a top floor flat. Yeah, yeah. Within reason, I, I don't have a problem with pets at all, as long as they're looked after properly and the tenants are looking after the the pets and the property. That's not a problem. Um, the only the only time really pets would come into it is I've got like uh, properties on farms and things. That's different. But apart from that. But I do think that um, the the current tenants finding a replacement could save a lot of time, but you really need to do your background and references on people uh, and see if they're actually suitable themselves. Mm -hmm. Also, I think um, when you do the actual viewings with people, now we were talking about that there, Jim, and it's we we call it pre-qualifying, and that and we brought that in on the back of uh, lockdown and all these measures and things where we had to really really be stringent about the time we were spending and had the amount of people that were coming to view as well. The pre-qualifying stage is so important and just part of our normal day to day now. A lot of people don't like it, um, and I think if you don't like it, a lot of people come forward and are so upfront. In the pre-qualifying stage and they'll give you all the information and they're very transparent some people are not and they think that we're cherry picking and all the rest of it but if somebody comes well, forward well, that's yeah, let's, let's that's be honest plug, we are cherry, we are cherry picking and and the reason that we're cherry picking is because the person that thinks they're the best tenant has actually dis displayed to us that the best tenant yeah you've got to remember as a tenant as a tenant uh, on the tenant side because i've been a tenant before as well as a yeah. tenant, you've really got to put yourself forward as the ideal candidate for that house. Um, and a lot of people say, oh, I'm entitled to a house. Yeah, go and see the council about it then, if you if you think like, like that way. Because the council is supposed to be housing you. And no, you know, it's their responsibility. If you if you can't find a house or if you can't afford to have a house, the, yeah. the crisis in this country is a social housing crisis. It's not a private rent sector uh, crisis at all. 
Uh, and that's that's how we are getting the problems put onto us. So the key here is uh, put yourself forward almost like you put yourself forward for an interview. And not everybody's like yeah. that. Remember, you're asking someone to rent to you what is effectively their second biggest asset outside of their own in their house. It's you know, it's a hundred thousand pound house, it's a two hundred thousand pound house, it's a hundred and fifty thousand pound house, and you're getting it to rent for five hundred, six hundred quid a month. And you're only putting down five or six hundred quid. And yet a person that owns a house has to then go through the legal duty of actually the legal costs. They have to go through the mortgage costs. They have to go the mortgage arrangement costs. They have to go through stamp duty costs as well. And they've got a huge cost to, from for home ownership. A renter can just access and disappear anytime they want within one month's rent and with 28 days notice. So that's why landlords and letting agents tend to be more stringent with the fact that we need to take the right people for the property. It's a business after all. Definitely. We are not the social housing providers. I must point that out. Although I love to do that and I have a, you know, I feel like I have an obligation to do that. It's the, it's the government's responsibility to do social housing. And they're just failing at that miserably, and it's getting pushed on to us as landlords, as private landlords, unfortunately. Yeah, and so it makes it all the more important to do a really uh, rigorous referencing process. And I think if you really want to, um, referencing, could be a whole show on its own, and we've done it previously. And if you really want to know more about doing background checks and referencing and things, you could take a look at our previous blog, which is uh, it's called Rigorous Referencing. I think the link's in the blog that's attached to this show. So you could click through and watch that. We've done that in a previous show. And that's packed full of tips um, and uh, advice on how to do a rigorous referencing process. Absolutely. Okay. So we've got the referencing process and all the rest of it. This is where I've become a, a, a bit confused about this. Um, so updating the tenancy agreement. How do we go about this? What do we do? So, yeah, so this differs, obviously, because we're Scotland. We have the private residential tenancy. England, it's a lot different. So if you're watching for England, you could update and change the tenancy. But really, I mean, ideally, I would say up here in Scotland, whenever somebody moves out um, of a house share and you've got one person and you're swapping somebody out and somebody else moves in, the tenancy agreement ultimately needs to be updated uh, and it needs to be accurate and reflect the current occupants uh, to protect both the tenant and the landlord. And ideally, I would say just do a whole new tenancy agreement and have all parties sign that. And that includes uh, the guarantors and things that are in place as well. This is where it comes back to a lot about what you said, though. It's about making sure mm -hmm. the the ending of the previous tenancy is done correctly, uh, and, you know, legally as well. Yeah. And then the new tenancy started legally as well. And that does involve, as you said before, about possibly doing another uh, inventory check um, yeah. and condition report to make sure that the new tenant coming in um, with existing tenants has got often the right footing about the fact that they're responsible from that point onwards for what's happening in the actual property from then onwards and um, that's probably the key and fundamentals about doing that mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely and, and i mean there is a lot involved if you've got sharers and uh, you've got one person leave and it's deposit it's the update the inventory you've got new paperwork hence the reason why a lot of people probably don't do it and um, it does happen though um, but you do need to make sure you remove the details of one person, do paperwork with the new people and have all new paperwork in place. And everybody is supplied with a copy of the updated paperwork um, and all the tenants and any guarantors and things are all 
in place and signed the proper parts of the agreement. How do you, and do, how do, you do in the circumstance where maybe one of the existing guarantors that's gone with the existing tenant is still staying there, doesn't want to sign it, the new tenancy? See, and that's where you could come into a problem because they could leave one person who doesn't have the guarantor. And if you're going to do new paperwork, that allows the guarantor to then leave. With the new, the, the new yeah. guarantor leave and leave the existing tenant still in yeah. there. So this is where it's quite important then to say that um, in the context that you shouldn't, uh, we should still have the right then, because it's quite interesting because the, the new legislation that's been proposed, it says that when the new tenancy ends, then everybody's tenancy ends at the same time. Uh, and that includes the garden tours, but then the, but then the existing tenants in there, um, does, yeah, it does say that they've then got to give notice and leave within 28 days. So it actually mm -hmm. forces the new the other tenants out within 28 days, uh, whether they whether they like yeah. it or not. So the actual legislation that's getting proposed to put in place, I believe, unless somebody tells me something different, is actually detrimental towards tenants. Yeah, well, well, a lot done, of Patrick well done, Patrick Harvey. Detrimental <laughs> towards tenants straight away, and the fact yeah. that. Tenants that are sharers could end up being homeless through no fault of their own because of Patrick Harvey's legislation. Yeah. That's the Greens for you. Yep. And it seems to be a recurring theme that legislation does always fall back on the most vulnerable. And that's the tenant, unfortunately. But that's just that's the way that's been set out. So but but the Greens were meant to look after the most vulnerable people. <laughs> I know. He says tongue in cheek. <laughs> they certainly don't. If you're get, let's be honest. If you're getting a hundred thousand pound a year as a as an as a junior minister, which Patrick Harvey's getting, then mm -hmm. would you really care? That's just a yeah, thought. I'm, I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you to answer that. It's just. A, it's just. I'm just throwing that out there because you can see what they get paid, yeah. and it's like for a, for a guy where he's come from, to getting paid that much money, that's going to go straight to his head, and his ego is going to rocket. That's a rhetorical you know question. Happens, if, you want, if you read The Winner Effect, which is a really good book about that, about all these people that have collapsed companies and how their ego took control of themselves and actually went way beyond. And they never saw sense after that because their ego driv drove them um, and they destroyed companies. It's almost like what they're doing with the government just now. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, I mean, it's a, it's a rhetorical question, but I think we all need we all need, uh, know the answer anyway. So. Your four-year-old kid in charge of the fire. <laughs> <Isn't that? laughs> yeah, anyway, so a lot of what move on. That's fine. A lot of what we've spoke about in terms of the tenancy agreement and the guarantors and the deposit and things, it all might sound obvious to a lot of people, but it's really extraordinary how many landlords um can get themselves into trouble, leave themselves wide open by taking a, a too a casual approach to things. Um and we are actually very quite strict with what we do, but um, some people just don't understand that there's a lot of regulations there and it does leave them really wide open and um, you could get yourself in trouble, especially with the new legislation. I mean, a, a good lawyer or a good uh, tenant body, you know what they're like. They yeah. just want to, you know, it's like, lynch them. <laughs> It's like that's all they that's all they want to do. They just want to they just want to find a landlord that they could make accountable and hold that person up as the the exact stereotype of what every landlord's like. And so when they when they see an opportunity like this, I had it in the in the in COVID. You know, I had um, a, 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 an MSP or an MP actually write to me because one of one of my previous tenants uh, copied me in after being away from the house for two years. 
<laughs> then then came back and then tried to come back saying it's like, oh, I've always had that tenancy. I'm like, you've been away from here for two years. You've never yeah. paid your rent. How the hell could you say you're still a tenant here? If you've abandoned it and everything's gone. If that's the one I'm thinking about. And then the next minute I had I had the MSP going, ah, oh, well, what's going on here? What's going on here, lad? Yeah. It's like you up to something, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. And and the, the for my for my benefit, it was aban- it was clearly abandonment and oh, the clearly. advantage as well as I had a I had an an AST and a, a short assured tenancy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and that was they couldn't do anything about that at all. But that was clearly abandonment. But the process on a PRT would have been completely different. And that would have held me liable, even though the tenant's been away for two years, doing something else completely different, living somewhere else. And they actually, the actually didn't pay the rent for two years either. And yet the, the, yet the legislation kept them in all that time. Yeah. Many landlords could actually afford that, to have that hit and rent for two years. A hit and rent for that. That's, that's, why, it's, that's why the legislation's daft. Yeah. You're just going to put all the landlords off and you'll have less stock in the private renting sector and the social renting sector will have to pick it up. And guess what? They've built none. That was a, that was a really strange situation that when you're referring to. And it's lucky that we had the shortest year tenancy and not the PRT and that we're not in the situation we are the now with legislation or we'd have, we'd have had a really even more difficult situation on our hands. Yeah, because, because this politician jumped on it straight away and thought, yeah. I'm going to go for this person. Um, and, and it's because I, hope I put myself above the parapet most of the time. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're going to stick your head above the parapet, you've got to get eggs. You've got to expect yeah, to get eggs. Get yeah, point yes, um, and that's what that's what kind of happens. But you need to make sure you're protected and your your downside is protected and minimised all the time. If if that's if that's the type of landlord or the type of letting agent you want to be, um, so that's why we protect ourselves all the time and make sure our landlords are protected in certain situations. That's, right. a, that's what a lot of people don't realise what goes on. You just look at letting agents and think, they're all the same. No, they're not. No. <laughs> it's everything that goes on in the background. So it's when, I usually say to most let, uh, most landlords, the reason that you're paying us as a letting agent to actually manage your property is not for when it goes right, but for when it goes wrong. So then we could probably react a lot quicker and do something about it a lot quicker than what what anybody could do by themselves because we understand the route and the track that you need to go down in order to do that. A few landlords get frustrated by that now and again, once in a blue moon, and the fact that it could be done quicker, and it's like, no, it can't. There's mm-hmm. legislative times that you've got to comply to. You've got to wait 14 days uh, to, to establish abandonment after actually checking meters and, and making sure everything's empty in the property and then putting yeah. a sign up and, and then sending a letter and then trying to contact the previous tenant as much as you can through all the different avenues and having proof in place you've actually done that before you actually establish abandonment overall. And then sometimes if you have to, if you think that's too difficult, then you have to go down the route of actually uh, applying to the first year, first year tribunal to actually get that um, get that legally uh, recognised as, as abandonment. And it's like, okay, when are they going to hear that? Six months down the road. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to establish abandonment quickly, efficiently, and now. Yeah. One of the most difficult things to do is establish abandonment and to do it properly. Like you say, well, the proper evidence, and you need to build all that up, and it can be quite challenging. It'd be interesting to hear, uh, whether it's sharers or whether it is dealing with abandonment and things, how other people have dealt with situations because I, I know that people will have and I know it refer to I mean we're giving examples but I mean they are they are the minority uh, situations but they do happen uh, and you need to be prepared for it and if you've got a good agent and you've got somebody in place 
when it comes to a situation like that and they know what they're doing, it will pay dividends to some to having somebody in place to deal with that for you because it yeah. can be it can be a total minefield. So let's have a chat about doing an actual changeover and the legalities around that. And I think there's there's ways and means of doing it relatively hassle free, um, moving one person out and then moving another person in. And the days in between one person moving out and another person moving in, there's things that you need to do and make sure that you've got outgoing person and incoming person and the paperwork all right. And there are some things that you do need to know to get right. And I think there's a few of them most notably, um, I think reminding the outgoing tenant of how the person should leave their the property. There's one yeah. person that, we're talking about rooms and sharers and it does kind of it does kind of bleed into HMOs. And well, I'm not referring to HMOs at the moment. We're talking about people who share. And nine times out of ten, if it's friends and things, they will have their individual rooms and that as well. So they need to sort that out between themselves and we need to sort ourselves out as the landlord or the agent to make sure that we're making sure what they're leaving is the way that they found it. And that's where inventories yeah. and things come into play, play as well. And what they leave behind or what they take with them is correct as and, and in line with what they did when they moved in. So I think that's something that you really need to get right. And if you've got a good agent who's been doing inspections and knows the property, that's that would pay dividends when it gets to that point as well. Yeah, I would think so, yeah. I think as well, and keys as well, <clears throat> excuse me, keys as well, re returning the correct keys that they were issued with, because obviously each tenant will have a key to access the property as well. They need to return keys properly and not return it to the person that they're sharing with and then just leave without obviously closing off the end of the agreement and things properly as well. That's something to think about. Definitely, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, and then that's when the proper, and it, at this point, it's not going to be a sign out or a checkout inspection, but it's it's going to be kind of like you do your periodic inspections, but obviously end in one person and bring in the next person in as well. So, mm -hmm. although you do well as we do, sign out and exit inspections to close off the end of a tenancy, it will be similar to that, but obviously we're doing it mid tenancy. Um, with yeah. one with one person and replacing with another, so you need to make sure that's done correctly as well. And that's where when you say about having an agent, Jim, a lot of landlords will do that very kind of casually, and that's where they'll leave themselves open um, to um, the legality things. And that's when things might go wrong further down the line. It might all be fine, and you could casually swap one person for another, but then mm -hmm. if things change down the line, whether that be a rent issue or a, a, an issue with the property in terms of how it's upkeep or even a, a social issue then when you start to try and deal with that and you've not done things correctly at the changeover you then you have the repercussions of not doing it properly at that time yeah definitely yeah and i've had that in the past where um like you say jim we'll, we will go to do an inspection or we'll touch base with the tenant and it's like oh they left and so and so is here now and it's like <laughs> that's not how it works you need to you need to tell us the the the, pro the property was going to be obviously a changeover of tenant and that we're doing the proper um, paperwork and things to make sure it's all legally correct and yeah i've had that in the past and that's probably why we avoid sharers um 
Well, definitely every single time. I've tried my best to take a sharer, and and for me personally, just for my stock, it doesn't mean to say you know um, other people are like that, yeah, but yeah. I've, I've never been a big fan of sharers because, especially with the universal credit system, you've got, for example, maybe two people. Um, that typical example of sharers: two people are independent. They've got their own independent um, universal credit applications in. Uh, one falls over and one doesn't. Therefore, you're only getting half the rent every single time. And it's it's really frustrating, even though they're joint and severally liable under the tenancy. No universal credit is going to be able to afford the whole tenancy mm -hmm. because they just don't get it. They'll only get a single room rent um, because they're only sharing a room. Uh, they're only got a room to their own self and they're sharing bathroom, living room and kitchen. Uh, that's the key here. Um, so that's why uh, that's why I've, all, I've I've tried to I've tried to work with it and I've tried to make it work as smoothly as possible. But I, I just can't get a system to do it. Um, so yes, it does apply in HMOs and stuff like that. And um, and and again, that's why we don't specialise in HMO. Uh, Elaine said actually when we we're in St Andrews, and you'll probably know some of the letting agents up there. And um, when she passed one day, and she looked in the window and she says, "Geez, look at the amount of staff in there." And I thought <laughs> because they deal with HMOs, yeah, it's just a, mm -hmm. it's just the it's, it's so labour intensive in terms of how to do things. And so as a landlord, you know, HMOs as well, isn't it? Maybe the thing that you'd maybe want to go down the benefits obviously by an HMO is you get everybody in one place and therefore it's easily manageable because it's all in one place but my 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 thought process on this is I would rather have one uh, percent of a hundred um, properties rather than have a hundred percent of one property you know yeah. a classic example about coca-cola machines the one that, that's the one that i used to get told all the time by my mentors if you had a coca-cola machine it produced a hundred percent of your profits um every single time and you put it in glasgow for example or edinburgh or any anywhere else at some point in time that will break down it might get vandalized as well so your profit completely is wiped out whereas if you had a hundred coca-cola machines and you put them in different venues and every one of them earned one percent um, then if three go down, you're still in a 97% of your profits and only three have gone down. And and that's where that's where sometimes HMO is quite desirable for that reason, plus the fact that the concentration in the house um, you would have. But there's a lot more stringent requirements in terms of uh, fires, uh, fire escape and fire procedures and fire doors and, and stuff like that. And a lot more prohibitive costs in terms of the the additional bureaucratic costs involved to do it hence the reason why i'm, I'm not a big fan of the hmo model and um, and, and sharers uh, somebody can convince me maybe one day and i'll probably go you idiot jim why did you not see that <laughs> why no, did you just completely write that off that idea of not having hmos but i just it just it's it's okay for a city or, yeah. a, or a major destination university town but it's not necessarily okay for um for uh, uh, you know your mainstream village. What well, I mean, in a village, village life. Oh, I've got there's a lot more. Everybody's only going to have to, you know, just one a one bedroom to themselves and with their own self-contained area in that bedroom. And it just doesn't fit with that model. No, there's a lot more. The safety aspect and the legislation with HMOs is a lot more stringent, and like there's a lot of turnover and things as well. And a lot of people who deal with HMOs, um, other agents and things that I've spoke to, since the PRT come into play, that has it's, it's been difficult for them to navigate with that model of tenancy agreement, as opposed to the short assured. Yeah. Now, let's just jump back, because yeah. I think we missed uh, the notice period in the beginning. 
Yeah, so like, let's talk about the notice period then. Yeah, so you know, when, 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 when one housemate wants to leave and the others want to stay, and we've touched on it throughout the show, but yeah. let's give it more clarity. Um, how they give notice depends on the type of tenancy and whether your landlord uh, is, is, in, is in Fife, is in Grampian, is in Lower England, is in yeah. London, is in Wales, is in Ireland, and whether, whether they're there or, or elsewhere in the UK, as I've said. I mean, for tenancies inside an original fixed term, now this is out, outside of Scotland because you don't get fixed term tenancies in Scotland anymore. They're open. No. If, it's a, if it's an individual you're dealing with, uh, if I'm right, Richard, it'll be a PRT. It's yeah. prescribed by the government, private residential tenancy agreement. And then you can add your conditions in if you want. But the reality is, even though you add your contractual conditions in, the, the, the housing legislation overrides everything. So you can't, you, you could say in there that if you don't pay your rent within a certain amount of time, we could instigate proceedings against you within the next 14 days under accelerated proceedings, which is what used to be before in the, uh, the, yeah. the structure tenancies. That doesn't mean anything because housing legislation overtakes it. So you can use it as a mechanism to actually possibly get the tenant to toe the line. Um, but when it comes to it in reality, the legalities of it, it's, it's nowhere the paper is written on. Um, no. So, no, so there's no, no point yeah, there's no point in having it in there if that's the case. So uh, you've got original fixed terms, which are outside of Scotland. Uh, you've got as well the, the, the outgoing tenant as well. We touched on that. The outgoing tenant stays liable for the rent until they're replaced on a, on a new tenancy agreement, even if, even if they move out sooner, uh, unless you agree otherwise. Is that right? Yeah, I think unless you agree otherwise then and find a replacement that's suitable and then they do the new paperwork, then the person that's outgoing will still be liable. So let's look at private residential tenancy agreements in Scotland or yep. rolling contracts, um, uh, periodic tenancies in England or Wales, as I'd said, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, without, without going tenant, it uh, must give you the same amount of notice as if everyone were moving out. This is what we talked about. Yeah. This is what we talked about with the current legislation. So basically what's happening with the PRT is if somebody gives notice, everybody else has to give notice as well. And if everybody, I mean, but they don't want to move out. No, no. So it makes it difficult. Yeah, definitely. And does. then that, that leaves it wide open for the landlord then to say, well, that's fine. Just all move out then. I could sell it now. It makes it a lot easier for me. But the, but, but the legislation that's going to be, it's going to be proposed is, 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 is clearly going to make that a man, obviously more or less mandatory. Yeah, where that will I mean, happen. Therefore, these people will leave themselves wide open and the fact that the landlord says, yeah, that's fine, just move out. Oh, Yeah, and then that's when uh, it comes a bit contradictory yeah. as well. And, and I saw it there the now, it's on one of the landlord forums there the now, uh, where somebody's actually saying that, uh, oh, there's a loophole. Well, it's no loophole. It's like, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't prescribe under legislation. It's probably impossible to do that. And the fact that, oh, if one person moves out or if two people move out, and then you're going to get that whole minefield where that could be completely exploited by the by by a really good solicitor it knows what they're doing and and but or by a really good legal mind it knows what they're doing it understands that process and yeah. understands how to exploit that that loophole uh, on behalf of possibly the landlords or behalf of the tenants either way this is why this is why legislation isn't really the best thing and this is why the the uk government the conservative government before successive conservative governments before have always had this laissez-faire attitude which is, in other words, the market will find a way and it will sort itself out overall um, through supply and demand. And it's the it's yeah. the let's be fair, it's the you know the Adam Smith sort of uh, you know system where it's like 
we shouldn't legislate too much for these circumstances because it leaves it leaves it prescribed and 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 it doesn't take into account uh, situations which are outside of that outside of that um, and and then it leaves everybody in a difficult situation because the legislation is prescribed so so in, in so much detail uh, that's that's where that becomes an, an essential problem uh, overall and I, and I definitely think that's what they're going to be doing um, with the new uh, the new proposed legislation from the Scottish yeah. government about rent controls and evictions yeah, I think you're right, and that is that is where it's heading, and that is where things become increasingly difficult, and especially for self-managed landlords and things who, I mean, that's going to leave them totally dumbfounded on what to do and where to go next. Ask me why I'm smiling. <laughs> why are you smiling, Joe? <laughs> because I see so much opportunity as a landlord, and and the fact that the legislation is coming through, and I'm just I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to let them mm. do it. Uh, I've warned them and warned them over the last five years. Um, as soon as COVID came in, I, I warned them again about what's going to happen if they keep doing this and how it's going to happen. And and I've got to the point where I thought it's no my fight. It's like you know if they want to, if they if the government, if the Scottish government want to do that to themselves and want to do that to tenants, um, they don't realise the implications about what they're doing and the ramifications of it. Um, let them, let them, and 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 it'll be on their head. Um, and the ne the next election, uh, they'll they'll be out. They'll yeah. be out. Folk will, folk will see it. It will be enough time for them to see what's happening. Um, I would love to fix it so nobody's got this problem. But do you know the whole thing? You've got to go through the difficult times to get out the end. You know that yeah, sort of thing. Think... Yeah, you're right. You need to. I think we're unfortunately you have to go through that process um, until we get to to the to the, the right answer at the end. Let, let, let's coin a phrase. There can be no victory without a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, and and a diamond starts off as carbon. It's put under hardened pressure and and an immense pressure over a, over a period of time, and and it comes out a diamond as a result. So, I think this is what's happening for most vital investors, landlords, and in, in terms of and and letting agent term, in terms of the market. I think this is this is this is opportunities. Um, I don't I don't care what anybody says at this point in time, whether you're pro or you're for you're against or for. But there's definitely opportunities in everything. No, so no matter what they did to change it, if they changed it to what I'd suggested, um, then there'd still be opportunities in that as well. Yeah, it, it's never. There's never going to be a point where it's not going to be an opportunity for the landlord. Um, uh, you know, as a result. Um, so if, if if you're that type of person where you think there shouldn't be, I mean, there's there's people out there daft enough to think that the landlord should just make no profit at all. I saw that the other day in a headline. It's like what. Do you, you do realise that the pr fundamental premise of business is to make a profit, to reinvest back in your business. That's the whole point of making a profit. If you don't make a profit, you've got no money to put back into your business. Yeah. And how, how is a landlord going to provide adequate housing that's up yeah. to the current legislation and things without making a profit? So this is what everybody thinks. The housing associations don't make a profit. You're absolutely right. They make what's called a surplus. <laughs> and that's effectively the profit. Because yeah. I remember at the housing, when I was sitting on the housing partnership and I was sitting across from the housing associations because we were all strategic housing policy and I was representing private landlords, they were talking about their surplus. And I went, yeah, but you make a profit. And they went, no, 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 it's a surplus. I went, What's the difference? It's your income minus your expenditure and you've got mm -hmm. a surplus. So I've got a profit. It's the same thing. Same meat, different gravy. That's yeah. all it is. So what are you talking about, you idiots? And, and that's the sort of mentality they've got. They actually genuinely think that they're not making a profit. It's like, you have to make a profit. 
to reinvest back in your stock to look after the tenant. That's the whole point. And then the good thing is, the, the benefit of that is you then get paid and rewarded for your efforts for doing that. It's not passive income, by the way. <laughs> That's where everybody, it's all these educators that go around saying, oh, it's passive income, it's passive income. You don't need to do anything for the rest of your life. You can, you know, all the rest of it. It's like, it's not passive income. You still have to take some sort of part and make decisions about what should be done. It just so happens you're getting a letting agent to do most of that donkey work and you're getting a contractor to do most of these repairs and improvements as well. That's why it's passive because you're choosing to spend the money you would have had on getting other people to do that. The great thing about it is it creates jobs. It keeps people in jobs. It boosts the economy. More tax goes into the coffers of the UK government and the Scottish government as a result. So we are naturally job creators as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an important thing as well, because, I mean, when when we look at what we do on a day-to-day basis as a letting agent and everybody that's involved in that, and not just yeah. our staff, but the people that we employ to then help us do what we do, um, I think people forget about the bigger picture. They don't. You know, because most people actually, most of these people uh, go on about this, about how unfair it is, uh, mostly just open their mouth and let their belly rumble. And it's the first thing that comes out of their mouth about what their idea of the day is. Let's be honest. And um, we all have it, you know. So, so you know, I could knock myself as well because sometimes I do that as well. Yeah, it's it's like, it should be like this. And then somebody comes along and says, well, it should be like that and it should be like this. And I'm going, oh. So what 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 history has told me over a period of time and, and, and what has taught me is the fact that, you know, I could say this about that, but it's, it, it applies to me equally as well. Uh, and yes. and that's, that, that's a good point. So you have to remain objective um, and you have to mean, remain open-minded in certain situations about, about the constant possibilities. Whereas a lot of people go in the, with a closed-minded attitude and they just see one way and, and they, don't, well, they yeah. don't see the bigger picture. This is why this is why I liken, um, for example, um, the Greens as a as almost like a union, um, and the union mentality is we'll fight for our corner and we'll say everything possible that we want, regardless of the consequences of how that's going to manifest itself in in the market. As long as we get what we want, we're no bothered about anybody else. All right, you're no bothered if the landlord loses their house and therefore the tenant suffers as a result. Oh well, we never thought of that, but we just want what we want. See how yeah. that see how that is. It's like we're not bothered that the, the house isn't profitable anymore for the landlord. We're just going to take away the right for the landlord to actually evict the tenant and actually get the property back because they'll need to sell it because they can't afford to keep it running. That's that's the mentality we've got just now. That's the that's the the government and the mentality we're we're, we're faced with now. A government actually can't see past their nose. Yeah, we've got, we've got a lot of comments coming in, and Maisie said there about. Uh, the Greens, with obviously their ideas have no growth in the economy, and then ultimately everything deteriorates. And you're totally right. You need growth. You need growth in everything. If you're not growing, you're contracting. There's no point in time where yeah. you'll stand still. If you think you're going to stand still and sit on your laurels, you're probably going to go back by the end of the year, the year after, and all the rest of it. I'll guarantee you that. So you have to grow, you have to adapt, you have to change in some sort of way. It might just be minor changes over a period of time. This applies to everybody else's business, everybody's life as well, and how they operate. What you were five years ago is not what you are today. And that's the same as every business. And it'll never be. And no one will ever be like that. I'll give you a classic example. Is 
you are a different person now completely as you were three years ago because every cell in your body rejuvenates over a three-year period yeah so therefore the person you are today is not the person you were three years or more before you're a completely different person your thought process might be the same yeah but then that changes as well billy Connolly classic example he used to talk about his political affiliations with a certain party when he was younger but now he believed later on over time that he actually changed as well you know billy Connolly did the same thing he says i now believe in a different mentality in a different party because of because i was naive and i didn't see a bigger picture at the time when i, I was just indoctrinated into into this sort of of, of social economic situation uh, by the people round about me so we didn't we didn't see that so there's no there's there's no there's no there's no shame in actually changing your way and changing your thinking and actually changing your maybe your political affiliations over a period of time based on what you believe at that point in time. And everybody's point of view is right based on their perception of the world. Own, yeah, individually. Yeah. So everybody's right. So even though I would argue with someone else about the, this legislation, they would argue for the other side, you know, in terms of where we are, because we are on both sides just now, um, then both parties are right based on their perception of their beliefs of the world at this point in time. Yeah, and it's, yeah. your, it's your ability to understand the other person's position is where you create a win-win situation for everybody. And this is why I've always beaten this drum for tenants. And I'll say it again, this is why I've always beaten this drum for tenants. And the yeah. fact that we should be building a hell of a lot more social housing. There's not enough built since 2006. Only 7,000 houses or just over 7,000 social housing houses are built for the whole of Scotland. Every single year since 2006, 7,000 for the whole of Scotland. 70% of the stock was, was sold off in the 1980s. And that's hundreds of thousands, and yet we're trying to replace them at 7,000 a year. You'll never keep up. You'll never even keep up with immigration, which is net immigration is 20,000 a year into Scotland. Net immigration. And you've got to provide houses for all these people as well. We've not got to provide them, by the way. These are people that are working, contributing to the economy and bringing their skills. The doctors, the dentists, the lawyers, the, all these people from different professional backgrounds from overseas are actually coming here to work. So the net immigration, don't get the wrong idea here, is actually people contributing to our economy. But they need places. They need places to rent. They need places to move in, to, to buy. And that's why we need to have a, a really robust and coherent housing strategy in Scotland for the way forward, for social housing, for private ownership, you know, for private rented sector as well, and for student lets as well. All these different tenures should be accounted for. But there seems to be all this pressure right now on private landlords saying that we're to blame for the situation that's been created right now. But we are not to blame at all. This is lays right down at the doorstep of the existing government They've had yeah. and they've been in power for a lot of years since 2009, 2006, yeah. round about there. They've had all that time to sort this out and get a coherent strategy in place, and they've still failed to do it. But I do believe the problem is it's called proportional representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm just reading through the comments there while you were talking, and, and Maisie said that as well. How come the Scottish government, uh, the Scottish Housing Minister, said last week that we've built thousands of social houses? Well. Technically, we could say well, that. You but could say that, thousands, but then it's what yeah. thousands you think it's it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we built thousands of houses, and everybody goes, "Oh, that's hundreds, then hundreds of thousands." And it's like, no, it's only seven thousand a year. Seven thousand. <laughs> if you look at the records, so he's right, or she's right, in saying that they've built thousands, 
but they've not. They've not built anything. The only that's mainly that's mainly housing associations. So it's not yeah. to do with the Scottish government replacing any social housing for the councils. So so and then thousands could be two thousand because that's plural thousands, two thousand. See how that's all done. It's all yeah. smoke and mirrors. It's all deception. It's all giving you enough information just for you to decide what you think it is. Somebody stood up and said to me one uh, the other week at uh, one of the functions that we were at. I think it was the Scottish Property Podcast in Dundee. How yeah, many houses have you got? And I said, uh, and I strategically answered that you wouldn't believe me if I told you. <laughs> now, yeah. Out of that, people were going, "Oh, he's not got any then," and the other people were going, "He's got thousands." Yeah, so it's how you perceive yeah. it. Yeah, it's like you know. <laughs> but but that's that's but that's what that's what intrigues me the human behavior and human psychology about how people think based on their own world and their own perceptions about where they yeah. were and and it's you know that you know people used to run about lean mouths here going jim parker's the biggest landlord in the whole of the world but it's their perception of the world yeah. and how they see it yeah and it's it's all about and it's come back to People not thinking about the bigger picture, and and like you say, but I mean we've deviated a bit from sharers, obviously, but uh, really interesting yeah. uh, points well, you've made. Let's jump back to this notes period just to finish yeah, it okay. off. Whatever, whatever you agree, confirm everything in writing to avoid any misunderstanding over rent payments uh, and move out dates, and also handing back the room. Uh, finally, double check whether the remaining tenants wish all wish to stay on. That's key yeah. here. One housemate leaving can be a catalyst for more, and you may be able to you may be able to achieve more rent with a brand new tenancy. Let's be honest. Oh, the Scottish government says there's a loophole there. It's like really, it's like it's called market. It's called market forces. If yeah. you've been renting, let's let's cover this now because they're they're trying to do this and close this sort of what they call a loophole. It's not a loophole at all. It's a correction in the rent, a realignment of where it should be. If you've been renting and the, you from your good nature, hey me yeah. by the way no. and you've been renting and at below market rent for all these years the scottish government's proposal for the below market rent is we're not going to let you re we're not going to let you put the rent up for the new rent to get it back to market rents for the next tenancy we're actually going to when the changeover comes with the tenants we're going to get the next tenant's going to get the benefit of that so if i've got a three-bedroom property i've been renting to a one-bedroom person because they really needed a tenancy and I rented them at the one-bedroom rate out of my good nature. Therefore, that one-bedroom rate is going to pass on to the next person that goes to rent a three-bedroom property from it. What? That's not right. No. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, that is. See how that that is that is lunatic lunatic thinking. That is somebody that has no coherent handle. Uh, and I will say, Paul McLennan and Patrick Harvey, the housing minister and the minister for tenants, have no coherent understanding of how the private rented sector works. Yes, we do allow tenants with a one bedroom, a one bedroom rate or a two bedroom rate to live in a three bedroom property because it suits our circumstances at the time, but it also helps the tenants get back on their feet in certain situations, which I do. So I'm now not going to be able to do that because of the impending legislation that's coming to place. I'm going to have to make sure I maximize the rent every single time. And I can't give anybody any dispensation on rent decreases because of this yeah. legislation see how the tenants suffer already yeah and that's that's like we say the, the most vulnerable they're the ones that suffer and it's the tenant crazy absolutely crazy yeah so 
we've covered quite a lot about the sharers today and, and I think predominantly for me the most important thing is that we've got legalities and the tenancy agreement and making sure that your paperwork's correct I mean we've covered obviously replacing the sharer changing the paperwork dealing with that deposit doing the, the change out of one person and another person if that's what you need to do and doing it correctly and if you're not doing it correctly or you don't know how to do it correctly have the right person in place that's doing that for you yeah it's quite interesting before we end here because we have gone off the track and this is not yeah, really timeless. this is not it is timeless content to a degree but it's not with the current circumstances i want to yeah. answer this question david actually says um about the new deal the Scottish the new government deal, yeah. rent control proposals responsibility for being devolved to local authorities how will that work um well i've actually just written to john mills a couple of days ago the the, mm -hmm. uh, the head of housing for fife council for example and i would urge you to write to your head of housing and your local authority to say that actually who's going to do this? Who's going to administer this? Uh, let me just read to you what I've said to them, uh, what yep. I've said to John, um, because I'll just quickly see if I can catch it on here and look back. Uh, John Mills, here we go. Um, uh, John, hope you're well and things are going to track. Uh, well, as good as be considered, uh, considering the political, political climate you're caught in, uh, and for now, uh, with the influence of the Greens and the Scottish government's decisions. Um, I've just submitted my response for the rental reform questionnaire. I've put uh, um, the link to the consultation document in there um, in this email to John Mills at Head of Housing. Uh, the proposed legislation implies that local authority will have the power to ask the Scottish government to apply for rental pressured areas where, which will restrict rent increases and apply eviction bans. Uh, clearly, from my conversation at the recent, recent housing summit in St Andrews um, regarding landlords in Fife, I'm trying to see if I can ascertain how this will work in Fife Council and who will actually decide this. My express worry is I'm worried that some councillors will hijack this politically and use it with no consideration as to the collateral damage it could cause, similar to what Patrick Harvey's just done, uh, to tenants. Um, this uh, coming on the back of huge increases in our mortgages uh, as landlords we're having to absorb admittedly i have a few myself which almost the interest on that just now matches the actual rent that i'm actually receiving on yeah. it because i can't move to market rents because of the impending legislation so there's no funds for me to reinvest in that property itself so if anything happens i'm going to have to find it for somewhere else at this point in time if i'm a single landlord with one unit for that property i should just say look you'd be better just selling it um yeah. but i'm okay with that i mean you know it's the 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 downside of that in that situation is the money comes from someone else's property which essentially could go to them to have a new kitchen or a new bathroom that's how i look at it so I work on a principle that this is a fund and the reason the fund is there in order to provide uh, facilities for all the tenants in my stock um, for that reason. So if I make more money on one side of there, it can go to the people that I don't make money on to help them. And what I'm taking out of this fund is uh, I don't actually think I take anything out of it. No, I've never taken anything out of it. Um, so I actually don't even pay myself as for ministering it or for doing anything, which I should do, ideally, but I don't. Um, so that's the and so this is also to take into account uh, increases in insurers, contract costs, and soon to be EPC upgrades as well. Although yeah. I find I've already started on these upgrades, hence the reason why you've seen all these yeah. almost about hundred thousand or so far in upgrades that we've done, Richard. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've asked him for his initial thoughts on how this will work work at lower at the at the local level, and, and that's effectively what I've done. Um, I would rather uh, have the local council um, admin, uh, applying uh, rent pressure status areas 
um, and you know, and and depends how big these are going to be, then have a universal rent station, rent rent pressured status area for the whole of the uh, the whole of Scotland, because clearly at this point in time, probably Scotland, uh, Edinburgh, and uh, and Glasgow, uh, the, yeah. these these aspirational areas, these high value areas, are going to be the targets of the rental controls. If it's a universal throughout Scotland, it's going to hit us because we're in villages. But what they don't realise is the villages are actually, we don't actually charge a huge amount in comparison to everybody else. It's the cities where it's all going up astronomically. Because if 10% in a city goes up, and um, that represents, for example, if it's £1,000, it's going up £100 a month. So it's £1,200 a year to the tenant extra they've got to pay. If it's 10% where I am, it's 50 quid a month. So it's so yeah. up. Yeah, it's completely and, different. And, and if it's, yeah, if it's, a, if it's a national basis on Scotland where this rent control applies, that's going to really cause problems. That's going to really cause an immense problem. So it has to be administered at a local level, but we need to find some more clarity about how that, who's going to administer this at a local level, who's going to apply it. Now, I'll give you a back insight into this. I used to sit in the housing partnership for Fay Council, representing private landlords for 10 years. We applied rent pressure status area uh, to, to, to stop people buying their council houses. That was the legislation in place. So if it works on the same principle as that, to, to suspend certain areas for a certain period of time on stopping buying council houses because everybody's buying the council houses, therefore there's no social housing available left. That's why we, that's why they applied it, and it went to the it went to the actual um, the um, uh, the group. Um, yeah. We were on the housing, the housing partnership, so it went to us to ratify that on the recommendation of the people that were actually looking into it to see if it should be done. And there's only two rent pressure status areas that we actually did. Uh, one was St Andrews, obvious, uh, for obvious reasons. And I think the other one at some point in time was Glenrothes, because Glenrothes apparently was the highest outside of St Andrews for rental accommodation, which was in need. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. think that. Eh? You would think no, it was. Think that. That's interesting. But it will, it will apply differently now. So I think it will be individually. It might be East Newcastle, it might be St Andrews. It might yeah. actually happen to. Whereas the rest of Fife might actually be left completely to to go to market rents. Uh, and I think I think that's probably the best the best of the bad situation. I would say. Yeah. But even worse, it then just teaches all the landlords that were under 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 pricing uh, you know to keep that because it's an average rent for an average rent average rent in scotland for example according to zoopla who has more data than the scottish government and um, the scottish government never let listened to them they just listened yeah. to Bitcoin, who's got a new amount of data the average rent in scotland um is 772 um overall which is very affordable 24 percent of the average salary apparently mm -hmm. so but there'll be people actually down at three and four hundred pound like myself um, which makes that average down there. So if that's the case, and they're telling me I should be increasing rents by 3% every single year or 6% of my costs go up, then I'll increase the rents then, and that average will start to creep up only because of the Scottish government, because I never used to do it before. No, I know. Now they've taught me to do it, and they've taught everybody else to fall in line, and they've taught all the tenants that this is going to happen because they've actually put it, they're putting it in legislation for that reason. So, so they're teaching the tenants. So that, so when you send the three percent and the tenants go, yeah, okay, I expected that because that's what the government was saying. Yeah, and we get a lot of that. It's better. It's better than what you were going to charge before. Um, but I was going to charge nothing before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you see, like you see, Patrick Harvey's more tenants, more rent. What an idiot that guy is. Yeah, <laughs> no idea what he's talking about. Get on your wee Shetland pony, Patrick Harvey, and. 
Teddy, Pudo, you know, clip clop yourself away back to your normal, your normal um, uh, constituency. Because you, you're literally in power with 6,000 votes. Yeah. A housing minister with 6,000 votes. <laughs> That's me. Yeah, and some of it is, uh, is quite, it's lunacy sometimes. But it'll be interesting to see where things go. Um, and that was interesting to hear what your response is. And it'll be interesting to hear maybe what you get back from that. But it's good to hear everybody else's view as well. A lot of comments come through today. And if there's any questions, um, of course, obviously come to us. My... Um, Contact details are in the blog attached to this post. So come to me if there's anything that we spoke about today that you want to touch base on. Um, and I think obviously we did deviate a bit from sharers, although I, I think what we covered today was very relevant, especially with the ever-changing dynamics of the private energy sector at the moment. So I hope that that helped everybody this morning. Any questions, you could jump in the comments or come to me direct. And if there's anything you want to add, Jim, no, that's it. I think well, I've had. I think I've had enough of a rant today. <laughs> no, that was good. For, yeah, it was good. So thanks for that. Thanks for everybody that's been uh, watching and uh, listening and commenting this morning. And we'll catch you all. We're on on Monday, Jim. Wealth Creation Show. Yeah, definitely we'll Wealth Creation Show on Monday. And we, we are, are going to be talking about what we're we talking about. We're talking ourselves to health, wealth, and happiness. So join in uh, on Monday. I think I've got a firm belief just to just to re-emphasise to people here. I have got a firm belief, and I know this for a fact, that you can convince yourself to be a lot more healthier just throughout your mindset yeah. that, uh, every single time. They've got conclusive proof where a woman's had a thyroid taking out, and she's, mm -hmm. because she's thought about it so much and, and put it in, the thyroid is actually grown back in. That's crazy. Yeah. But think that, yeah. this is this is why this is why you know Tony Robinson, Joseph McLean on the third. Um, it's one of his uh, uh, health gurus uh, mm -hmm. with, with Tony Robbins. This is why Joseph and Tony talk about this about your mindset can affect your health definitely, and and, and how people have actually um, almost almost got to a point where they've actually cured themselves without any chemo from cancer. Yeah, yeah, now, I'm yeah. not saying anybody out there, for God's no, sake, no, this is not new age technology or anything like that. This is the positive mindset can have a huge benefit overall in terms of your health. Um, and, and, and you can actually live longer. Uh, you know, it's been proven that people could live 10 years longer just to having a positive mindset. And this yeah. is why it's yeah. so important. And, 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 and things like, for example, um, yeah, oh, we'll, we'll talk about it more in the show because we could, you know, you'll get them on a totally different. I know, I was just going to say, you're going to spoil Monday's show. But yeah, join us Monday, 12.30, and we will talk about that on the Web Creation Show. But until then, uh, thanks for joining, Jim, and thanks to everybody for uh, commenting and taking part, and we will see you later. Bye-bye for now. Bye.